series of poker main event final table. Jarvis with pocket nines. Long. Jarvis going Great. for it all, yeah. all in for just over 14 million. Ms. Rocky, who needs almost 13 million to call. I call. And he does make that call. And now Matt Jarvis's hope of becoming the first Canadian main event champion hangs in the balance. Now here's the flop. All right, the turn card. Oh, and then the nine! Nine score for Jarvis! Grinder would need an oh, ace, sorry. queen, or eight to knock out Matt Jarvis. It's an ace! Oh, mama! No way! It's not possible, is it? And the roller coaster ride comes to an end for Jarvis. Matt Jarvis nearly reached the pinnacle of the poker world in 2010, finishing eighth in the World Series of Poker Main Event World Championship. His roller coaster ride was punctuated by that absolutely incredible final hand that you just heard about. In this conversation, we talk about Matt's poker career, lessons from poker that apply to business, and how selling Cutco helped train Matt for poker and for his current role as a founder and CEO. You'll also hear how Matt is now combining his passion for poker and his entrepreneurial aspirations with his promising new company. This episode is entertaining and fun while also being insightful and full of value-packed tips for success. I'm happy to introduce you all today to my friend and fellow poker aficionado, Matt Jarvis. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I have a very cool guest today and a particularly fun episode is forthcoming here with Mr. Matt Jarvis. Matt sold Cutco back uh, in 2003 to 2005 in Canada. He's one of our awesome Canadian alumni. Matt, very notably, was at the final table of the World Series of Poker main event in 2010. It's the biggest tournament in the world. He reached the final table of it. And at that point, the Cutco world was buzzing a little bit about, hey, this guy that sold Cutco is at the final table. And everybody was rooting for Matt at that time. He finished eighth in that tournament, won over a million dollars, has had multiple entrepreneurial experiences since then, as well as tremendous poker success since then. He is now the co-founder and CEO of Cash Live, which is a live-streamed 
poker game for your mobile device. It's in the beta testing phase still, the early stages, but you're going to learn about some of these things that Matt is doing. You're going to hear a lot about some poker experiences and his experiences selling Cutco. We're going to have a lot of fun today. So Matt Jarvis, thanks so much for making time for the podcast. Dan, always great to connect, my man. Very nice to be here. Fantastic. Well, our relationship, Matt, actually dates back to January of 2011. So this is about two months after your experience at the final table in uh, the World Series of Poker. And I was in the Bahamas for the PCA poker tournament. I happened to have won a package to get out there. It was a free, basically, it was a free trip for me to go oh, yeah. play poker with all these great pros like yourself. And we met. We met at that time, connected a little bit back then, and we've been in touch ever since then. Let's start by talking about poker today. Tell us about how you got into playing poker. Well, before I do that, I want to say uh, I do remember that that experience of meeting at the table in Bahamas together. I actually knew of you because you were kind of you were the guy in Cutco as well too. So I remember from my back my days back with selling knives that oh, this is Dan Cassetta, and you pr- approached me and you said. Hi, my name's Dan Cassetta. I'm like, I know you, you are. You're, you know. <laughs> so yeah, your your name was definitely a familiar one as well too for me. So, but yeah, starting the poker and it was it was great to meet you out then, and it's been awesome to stay close ever since. And so my background with poker was I didn't play poker until I was about 19, but uh, I played cards growing up at my family cabin since probably the age of just two or three years old. We have a little cabin on the beach and. You didn't get any uh, TV down there. So you basically, at night times, we'd just play cards with our family, whether it's our grandmas and aunts and uncles and stuff like this. We'd sit around and play cards. And so that was a big thing. That really kind of started me on the, on the journey of playing and loving cards. And, and 2003 was the year Chris Moneymaker won the main event. He, he beat Phil Ivey. He beat Dan Harrington and Johnny Chan. And you know, for you poker fans out there, this is like the big year. It's like, this accountant came through and beat all these titans of poker and nobody knew how he did it. And ESPN kind of took off that year as well too and, and really started broadcasting poker. So that aligned for me at the same age that I was 19 years old. And Canada, legal gambling age is 19. So you can finally go to a casino at that age. And I was like, oh, this is something I could do. I've grown up playing cards and stuff. So, But my first poker experience was at a Cutco sales office after a sales meeting, which was so cool. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely unbelievable. One, my, my now, my, the best man at my wedding, he was the assistant manager back then. And yeah, I have so many ties into Cutco. It's amazing. Absolutely love my experience with Cutco. But after a sales meeting, I got invited to play in this little $10, $20 game. And I immediately fell in love. I started playing poker online, played sit and goes, started with free to play, and then eventually on poker stars played real money. And then eventually these online tournaments. For many years, I wouldn't miss a Sunday, whether it was a big family function going on or, or whatever it was. I was sitting in front of a computer from about 7.30 a.m. until about midnight every single Sunday for, for years and years. That's so, when the big, big online tournaments were always every Sunday back then? Exactly. Yeah, you'd have the Sunday Million or first place was normally around 200000 or more. A whole bunch of tournaments in that range that you could win between 5, 10, 20, 50, 100,000 in, in that range. So me and basically everyone else, I think... Sundays were a day that you'd have the same amount of volume on just Sundays as you would have the other six days combined for players online. So right, right. Something else that kind of led me into poker back then was my dad's a professional golfer, and he qualified for the Champions Tour in 2005. And I got this feeling of being able to go and experience what it was like to be under the ropes and and kind of 
live this lavish lifestyle of like courtesy Cadillacs at every tour stop and some of the best buffets like prime rib and lobster and like the fans and getting a half an hour golf lesson from Gary player and, and sitting at lunch with Ben Crenshaw or Ray Allen was in our pro-am group one time. So I got to read his putts for five hours and I'm like, man, I got to find a way to make this happen for myself uh, a little more frequently. So uh, poker was, was the avenue. It's definitely different than the sort of athletic sports that people have out there, but it gives you the same competitive feel and that feel of just being a star. That's definitely something that's awesome. So that really culminated for you with the experience of 2010. Tell us about uh, that run in the main event. 100%. So definitely wasn't a straight route to success from uh, my, my start in uh, the Cutco office, right, to getting to that final table. It was a lot of making some money, losing it all making some money back, losing it all again. I probably went broke about five times, bored from friends, bored from that, my best man that uh, was my Cutco manager. Eventually went on to be my Cutco manager for a while. He lent me some money to kind of keep going with poker. Is that Stuart? Um, it is Stuart. Yeah, Stuart McKissick. Yeah, he, he ended up being my business manager when I made this final table as well too. Just, yeah, one of my, my best friends. And yeah, long story short, 2010 was finally my breakout year. I I'd had a few wins leading up to that. I, I won... 30,000, 50,000, 100,000 online. But 2010 was the year that I finally broke through and made the final table. And yeah, just an incredible experience. That's every poker player's dream of making this final table. It's the, the $10,000 buy-in. You have roughly 7,000 people that play in this tournament. And you're playing normally for a first prize that ranges in that like eight to $10 million range. So there was 7,000 players. You're live in Vegas. It's at the Rio, right? Tell us a little bit about the ride. What do you remember? So what I remember, kind of start a little bit on a sad note, but just before I made it to go down to this tournament, my dad got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And I almost mm. didn't go down. I, he was a super healthy guy, ate healthy his whole life, barely drank at all, like once a, every few weeks, never smoked a cigarette in his life. He pushed me to go. He says, look, there's nothing you can do here. Go down. This is what you're meant to do. I was his biggest fan as, as a, a golfer, and I really think he was my biggest fan as a poker player. And he'd watch me online every Sunday. And But yeah, long story short, he pushed me down to go down there. I qualified, you know, similar to how you, Dan, qualified to get in the PCA. I did the same thing to get into the main event. Wow. Um, so yeah. You, you, didn't, so you didn't cool. have to buck up the 10K? I didn't have to buck up the 10K. I think I got in for like 1500 bucks or, or something like this. And had a couple of friends buy a little bit of action off me as well, too. So I think I was actually into it for zero when all was said and done. But yeah, anyway, it was, it was this really cool feeling. I started off day one, had a really good day one, kind of hung around there day two and three. And then in poker, there's something called the bubble. And what that is, is basically the difference between making the money and not making the money. So in a tournament like this, where the buy-in's 10,000, you know, if you make the money, you're making about $18,000. So if you right. finish just right. outside the money, you're getting $0. It's zero. So, yeah. so there's a lot of ability if you're a good, aggressive poker player, to put a lot of pressure on a lot. Like there's 7,000 players. We're not talking about the 7,000 best players in the world. There, there's 7,000 players and there's, there's some really strong ones. Like a lot, majority, the top, you know, three, four, 500 players are there. But then you have a lot of, of players that have qualified in somehow or another. And, um, and this is an opportunity for myself with a lot of poker experience to put a lot of pressure on people. So... Um, on that bubble, I won uh, 24 out of the 25 hands um, before the bubble happened. <laughs> <laughs> so you're playing, you were the chip leader at the table, I assume, or one of the chip leaders. You're playing every hand. You're basically not even looking at your cards. You're just exactly. pressuring everyone. 
cold because they want to fold their way into making that 18 grand, right? Yeah, probably that first hand of the 25th, I played a back and forth hand with the other chip leader at the table. And I actually had at that time, I had, a, I think I flopped a set of queens, we went back and forth. And I wound up going all in on the river and no one saw my, my card. So they just thought I was like being this really aggressive guy. And I would just raise people would fold fa- ace king face up on the bubble. And they just were just getting out of the way. Like, no, I'm not going to go against you. And, and that took me from being a big stack to one of the top 10 chip leaders, I think, at that time after day four. So to get into and the at, money. Um, and at this so, point, there's like 700 players left, roughly? I think that sounds about right. Maybe just a little bit more than that, but right in that range. Yeah, seven, 800 they, players left. Like 10 to 12% of the field probably is what they paid back then, I think. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. The cool thing about this is that the next day, Full Tilt approached me and they wanted to put a patch on me and let me basically be representing Full Tilt for this tournament. And for me, that was just the coolest thing. Like I grew up watching Phil Ivey and Tom Dwan and Gus Hansen and, and to be able to like wear the full tilt logo from then on was like this badge of honor, which was super cool. So, Oh, that's neat. Yeah. It was like a, you know, I've watched all the commercials and stuff like this. I ended up getting my own commercial that own full tilt commercial later on, which is when I made the final table, which is such a cool experience. But yeah, so many more experiences, amazing outreach from everyone as, as I kind of went on day by day, talking to my parents and. Yeah, that final day, that day eight was just crazy. Yeah, 18 hours. We started at noon and we didn't make it to the final nine from 27 down to nine. Took us from noon all the way till basically 6.30, 7 a.m. the next day. Wow. Yeah, I was basically sweating, which is weird to think of playing a poker game and you're sweating, but it's crazy. And when it gets down to 10 players, you combine into one table, but they still eliminate one more person for what they call the official final table that went, you know, that resumed several months later, that what was called the November nine back then. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. And going from 10 to nine, what was that like? Oh my gosh. It was unreal. I literally, I had my girlfriend, now wife, I had my sister, my, my closest friends there on, on the beside me. And like literally every break I need to like have them be just like, okay, just hang in there, hang in there. Just one more guy to go. But the thing is, is similar to me being on that bubble throughout the main event knock like that difference between 18,000 and zero, there's a huge like $300,000 difference between getting into that final nine or not getting into that final nine. Plus there's a lot of promotional opportunities and it's like, it's really a a life changing bubble, that difference between 10 to nine, right? Those chip leaders, they knew that and they were just punishing everyone. They were just raising every single hand and going back and forth. You're kind of middle stacked at this point. So yeah, I'm mostly folding. I kind of just got to like get out of the way. And, and then finally, finally, at like 6.30 a.m., I finally wake up with uh, pocket queens. Actually, right before that, I, I re-raised all in with 9-8 suited just because I was like, you know what? I need to like, I can't just let these guys let me fold out. And luckily, I got to fold. But the very next hand, Brandon Stevens is his name. He goes all in. I look down at pocket queens. He's the short stack at the time. And I have him covered by a fair margin. I would have been the short stack if I lost it, though. But I go all in pocket queens as well, too. He sure enough has a big hand. He has ace-king. And fortunately, this is a flip I'm able to win. And no ace, no king. And, and I make the final nine. And my yell at that point when that final river card came down was, was very loud. It was uh, <laughs> happening. Yeah. And even, the other players, even the other players were all hugging each other because we just know, you know, we know now we have a four month break. We're so tired. We know what this means for all of us. We're all basically guaranteed around a million dollars each. And it's one of these things. There's not many times in poker 
where you're so excited for other players as well too. But we were just all like this excited for one another. We knew we had a break. We weren't going to play any more poker for a while. And it was just this, yeah, unbelievable feeling at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Cool. So then there's a several month hiatus, which is how they did things for a few years back then, largely for the promotional opportunities that you guys could have. There was a chance for people to really pick up a lot of extra opportunities in that way. And then the nine players returned to Vegas in basically early November, and you guys played out the final table at that time, right? And do you want to talk about how that wound up for you? <laughs> yeah, sounds good. So this four month, you're trying to figure out first off, like, what do you do during these four months? Like, like, how do you kind of figure things out? And so you're getting tons of interviews. I, I ended up playing a lot of poker, won a couple tournaments, but it's crazy that you have your own like uh, walk-in music. You have all your, you have 150 of your own friends there in the audience that they have special seats for. There's like, it's this crazy atmosphere that you can't even imagine until you're actually there. And then the second hand I play the table, I end up losing probably two thirds of my chip stack. So I'm now one of the short stacks. I got a battle back. Sure enough, I do. We've knocked out one player, so we're down to eight of us. And I play what's still known to today as one of the craziest hands of all time, especially uh, given the stakes that were on the line. So what basically happens is the chip leader, Jonathan Duhamel, he raises, Michael Mizraki calls, and I look down, I got pocket nines. I promise you if I had pocket eights, I would have folded, but nines was like just on the cusp where this is like an all-in moment. I had about 23 big blinds. I push all in. Everybody else folds. It comes back to Michael Mizraki. He's the more, most notable player at the table. They call him Grinder. He'd also won the Poker Players Championship that year. And he was about to like, at the, like, just, he just had a crazy year. So he's like, he's the celebrity at the table. And it comes back to him. He looks at me, he thinks, he looks at me, and he calls. And he shows over Ace, Queen of Diamonds, basically a flip. I have, I'm about 55%. He's about 45%. This hand is worth $3 million US dollars, by the way, the equity between winning and losing. So the flop comes down, queen, queen, eight. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I, just, you know, I hold my cool. I start thinking, okay, there's some straight draws. Maybe if a jack or a 10 comes. And when you're this, they got the announcers there. There's long pauses in between everything. They wait like a good two minutes between each card comes. You're sitting there. You're like, uh, you know, the turn card is a nine. Wow. I hit the miracle two outer. So now I have a full house and I go from being 10% to now a 90% favorite to win. So the table's completely turned. So he can now hit an ace, a queen, or an eight. Otherwise, I win this pot. I'm uh, second in chips and at a great seat at the table for really going on to, to have a good chance of winning this thing and completely, you know, not to say making this table is not life-changing, but you win this tournament and that's completely life-changing for the rest of your life. So we're coming down the river. The river card is the Ace of Spades. <laughs> yeah, it was painful, painful, painful. But yeah, it's such a great experience. So nothing, nothing bad to say. Just, just such a roller coaster of emotions though. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I can't <laughs> that being, I've been a part of some pretty sick hands. And I've been a part of pretty, some pretty sick hands that have been worth a good amount of money, but I've never been a part of a sick hand like that that was the equity value of your chip stack at that point versus busting $3 million yeah. difference. You know, like that's just incredible. So, but it was an awesome experience. You won over a million dollars uh, in that particular tournament. 
Um, and, and then you did get your chance to win a World Series bracelet the year after. I know in 2011, you won a, I believe it was a 5K buy-in yes. event, which is one of the most brutal buy-in levels ever, by the way. Like, I've played some 5Ks, and I can tell you, like, the 10Ks, like, all the rich businessmen play 10Ks and stuff like that. You get a lot of easy players, right? The under 2K is a lot of amateur players, but, like, the 5K buy-in is pretty much, like, 90% straight professionals, like, crushers that play. (laughs) And you won that, and you got your bracelet that year, so that's pretty cool. Thanks, my man. Yeah, I felt like leaving that final table, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. You know what I mean? I'm like, all right, I, I still got something to prove out here. And I think there's a lot of people out there that think, not that anybody can make the World Series main event final table, because it's so many days of poker that you really have to, it takes way more than just luck to kind of get there. Although there is a big luck component, but there's just so many hours of playing. And when you compound that many hours, you know, you need to know what you're doing. Um, but I wanted to prove myself that like I deserve to be there and winning this price of the next year, I felt like was, was what I was really trying to go after. Really use 2011 to really kind of show myself that I deserve to be at that final table the previous year. And you enacted a small measure of revenge against uh, Michael Mizraki in that next year, right? <laughs> I did. I did. With pocket nines, I had mind you as well, too. So the very last hand of the day, I ended up getting it all in. He was a short stack. I was one of the chip leaders of the tournament at the end of the day. We ended up getting it all in. It was actually a three-way all-in. He had pocket queens, and I had pocket nines. I still would have been one of the chip leaders, even though I lost the hand. But still, I hit a nine. I took him out, and a little small bit of redemption. That that hand was definitely not worth three million in equity. First place in that tournament was about eight hundred, just over eight hundred thousand. But it was a little bit of redemption. So uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so cool. Who are your favorite poker players? So. Daniel Negreanu has got to be top of the list. He's just been such a great ambassador for poker over the years. And he's Canadian as well, too. And yeah, you're uh, a countryman. That's right. My countryman. That's right. Phil Ivey, obviously a, a big name. He's always been known as one of the best, if not the best. But back then, the most instrumental player for me was watching Tom Dwan play. He played this high-stakes poker game. I probably watched... There's a series called High Stakes Poker. And I watched more of this poker than probably anybody in the world, this this series. I probably watched that. There's about three seasons that Tom Dwan was part of. And I watched it each season probably 10 times over. And I just wanted to be Tom Dwan. I just loved his style. I love that he's constantly putting people in these pressure, high pressure moments. And like people felt scared playing with them. And that's what I wanted for myself at a poker table as well, too. Yeah. Wow. And who have been like the toughest players you've played against? So I've never played against Tom. Uh, I'm sure he'd be up there if, if, if it was, but uh, I played with Antonio. You know, playing with him was pretty was pretty tough. He put me to a few tough challenges. I almost went three years after I won my bracelet. I almost won it again in the five thousand dollars six max. I had the chip lead with eighteen players left in the same tournament. I can't remember if it was two or three years later, but Bryn Kenny, who's now the all time um, money earner worldwide. He was very tough to play against. He put me through some very difficult decisions and playing against him was really tough. And then lastly, one of my closest friends, Ash, that uh, has really been a mentor to me as well too. He won a brace of the year after I did, but the two of us would just battle each other for, you know, the last decade plus um, with second pair, third pair, just like, you know, sometimes ace high, just like really always putting each other to the test for some of my battles against him and on top of those big names as well too. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. What did you grow to love about this game? Yeah, for me, I always grew up a super competitive guy, like in everything. I uh, was always really strong at math. 
um, really strong at math and between the blend of math competition and reading people playing cards, like it just, it all kind of blend into this perfect combination for me. So I love this. I love that it's like a battle of wits. I love the people that you can play with as well too. Like there's just all different walks of life. Like Dan, you playing poker, like the people that every different walks of life that play poker. Like I, I sat next to the rapper Nelly playing a little sit and go in Bahamas the, the same year that I, I think I was with you, Dan. TV stars that I've played with, like Jason Alexander or Ray Romano. And uh, I still remember this day playing with the late uh, Jerry Buss, basically the uh, the Lakers owner. And we played in a little, a little sit and go for $1,000. Meanwhile, it was game six of the Lakers, but it was they were playing away. And he doesn't go to the away games. He only goes to the home games. So literally, like, Game 6 Lakers is going on. And he's more concerned about what's going on in this little $1,000, you know, sit-and-go table as a multi-multi-billionaire. Um, <laughs> so it just it's super cool the types of people to get to play with as well. Yeah, I can definitely echo that. Having had a chance to play in some of the biggest games in the Bay Area, I have a chance to play with some tech moguls and bazillionaires <laughs> and um and then you know there's also always a couple of like degenerate gamblers at the That's at right. the table and it's a range and you get a chance to learn to connect with people and and uh practice your communication skills in a different way uh learn a lot about about understanding people and understanding emotions and also like it takes a lot of emotional control to be good at poker and that's something that you get a chance to practice so many times because you just have these brutal things that happen every time you play Right. Oh. It's just that an inevitable part of the game. Every time you play is you're going to have these like gut punch moments <laughs> and having to learn to deal with those things and kind of take it in stride um, and see the big picture. It's, it's definitely a microcosm for life. 100%. I have heard you say that selling Cutco made you a better poker player. Uh, how so? Definitely. Definitely. Um, so I want to say I, I worked as Cutco as about a 19 to 21, 21 and a half year old kid. And it was truly one of the best experiences of my life. Um, but to answer your question, Dan, like the networking, like there's a lot of networking that basically goes on in poker, especially if you want to get invited into like into tournaments and special home games and things like this, where your edge might be that much higher, but you got to do that networking, which Cutco really kind of taught me to do. I'd also say reading others, like when I was sitting down in someone's kitchen and kind of going through the the demo with them and cutting the penny. I don't know if you guys still do that anymore or, or uh, cutting the rope and, and different things like this and, and kind of reading their reactions. Okay, how light to get a homemaker or is it just going to be a trimmer or is it going to be nothing at all? It kind of going through that process with them and reading them throughout the process of, of them sitting so close to me. That really helped me with poker. I really got to give a good understanding of like, how do I read other people and, and opponents at my table. Now, not to say someone you're selling Cutco to is your opponent, but just being in that close proximity and like, you know, reading their facial, you know, and just doing it so many times that you can tell, you know, in the first few minutes, look, is this probably going to be a sale or probably not? And is this guy bluffing? Is he not, you know, like kind of going through that process. And then lastly, just to say exactly what you just said, Dan, the dealing with the ups and downs, like the microchasm for life of really understanding, like, look, you, you're going to go over 10 sometimes in your Cutco sales and you're going to go over 10 in, in tournaments sometimes. So just realizing that it's not to ride those emotional highs too high and not to ride the emotional lows too low and just trying to really keep yourself as even keel as possible. So yeah, Cutco is an amazing experience for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. What are some other learnings from poker that you feel like you've carried over into your all your other business ventures? Probably my biggest one. One, I used to write a whole bunch of things on my hands. Very first 
I always write on my hand was why not me? That was the very first thing I'd write when I'd enter a poker tournament. Every single morning, I'd write on my hand, why not me? And this actually, I learned this right before going into that main event of basically saying, look, there's so many players in this field. I feel like I can sit down at any poker table that's in the world, including those high stakes poker events that I watched on TV. And I feel like I can win at any table that I'm, I'm sat down on at. So I put the effort in. I've been working for years. I go through all these. I take notes at the table. I, I run in the mornings. I do all these different things to kind of get me to a point where why not me? Why should I not be getting myself open of winning? I think was one of the main ones for me. There's a few and I'll just kind of list them off. But especially right now, adapt or die was a big thing. Like if you lose half your stack, be willing, be understanding, look, that's the new normal. I got to find a way to like adjust from here. Uh, I think that's a very important in, especially with COVID times right now, you got to find a way to just adapt the way that you can. Trust your instincts. That was like a huge, huge one for me. Your instincts are basically telling you from all the data points that have happened over the years and re remind you, like when you first get an initial reaction, find a way to really trust that initial reaction that you're having, that your mind's telling you to do and not go against that because that initial reaction, that those instincts in you to where you can go or to the right decision. So trusting your instincts was, was really big for me. And one more thing I wrote on my hand was no ego, no emotion, just poker. So finding a way to like drop the ego, drop the emotion, realize that you are a player. If you were someone else that's standing behind you watching yourself play, would you be, would you approve the decisions that were made? Would you be making that you're level headed with no emotion attached to this ace jack suited because it looks pretty? Like just things like that were always very helpful for me, trying to remove the emotion from the situation. And I think that's, very relevant, both to the poker table and business as well. Indeed, indeed, for sure. Well, let's take it back to your Cutco experience. How did you, how'd you oh. find Cutco? So I was the guy that, just like everyone else, found the ad in the paper. And I was like, huh, what's this interesting opportunity here? Went to the interview, saw a whole bunch of other people in the room. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. What's going to happen here? Was kind of moseyed my way in. And then also found out, look, we're going to have to buy our own starter kits and you know i'm basically having to pay to do a job and i you know had to come over that hurdle and then had to go talk to my friends and family and, and friends parents and things like this and and got over that hurdle and really just said look i'm jumping in with two feet i'm gonna learn how to do this and before cutco i really i don't think i was great with dealing with objections i don't think i was great with knowing how to yeah deal with rejection like talk to people that were a little bit older than myself as well too in, in a really meaningful way but yeah, that's started with Cutco, ended up doing it for about two and a half years as a part-time as a student, sold around 75000 as a worth of knives. Still remember today, I did decide to bring, I know this is only for the, the video, the people watching on the video, but uh, brought a couple <laughs> of uh, Cutco there, there, Dan. One, this is my favorite of all time. This is the vegetable knife. I absolutely love vegetable knife. I use it all the time. But the second was super cool. This just happened recently where I renewed my mortgage in my house and I was sent in the mail a gift from our mortgage broker, which was a Cutco knife. And um, <laughs> yeah, his engraving is on and everything. And I was like, oh man, this is so, so cool. Like life has just really come full circle with this. And yeah, anyway, it was an amazing experience. And yeah, absolutely loved, loved working with Cutco for the years. Met some of my closest friends, my, my best man at my wedding. My uh, one of my groomsmen, he was coming to dinner later tonight. He also was I met through Cutco as well. Just yeah, just one of the, the best experiences I had in my life. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool to hear. 
Anything that stands out significantly from those two and a half years that you were selling Cutco? Yeah, it's a good question. I'd say one is you just never know when some random job will lead you and really kind of impact your life. So I'd say if you approach each situation with optimism and just let the cards fall as they do, I think, and put a lot of effort in, of course, but I think that's one thing that I really took from Cutco. And then also now as a business owner and having a full team of employees myself or team members myself, just really wanting to make sure that I emulate the same Cutco experience that I had to my team and that they walk away from Cash Live, my, my current company, with that same feeling of, wow, this company really changed my better. And I think those are my biggest takeaways from, from Cutco. Yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. Just hearing that, uh, that it changed your life for the better and, and you wanting to be able to pass that forward with people you're working with now in your own company. Tell us about what led to the ideas for your current business. So I was an entrepreneur when I was young. Uh, at the age of 10, I was selling golf balls back to golfers on the golf course. So I always wanted to be in business. I'd done a few other things after poker. So I, you know, 2015 was another big year or a good year for me poker-wise. I made it to 51st in the main event out of 7,000 players. I kind of realized to that point that I really wanted to start looking into other avenues so I'd already reinvested some of my money and bought a, a trailer park, actually two trailer parks in Indiana of all places. And I bought a house detailing business called Shack Shine. But I felt like I really hadn't landed on my passion yet. And my daughter was just born. And I really felt like I wanted to create something that kind of went along with my passions. And, the, and the, uh, what we built is, a, is basically Zynga Poker meets HQ Trivia. If you guys ever played HQ Trivia, it's this fast paced like game show that you play on your mobile device where you have a live stream host that's talking to you. I wanted to bring my final table hand, my hand versus Mizraki, give that experience to players every day in a very engaging, quick, fun, all interfold poker tournament for your phone. That's cool. That's cool. Tell us about it. Tell us about how it works. Yeah. So it's a mobile app. You currently we're still in, in beta. It's free to play. It we pay out real cash as well too. So if you win, you actually you know, win something meaningful, like actual cash, you get dealt two cards, you get to see the flop, and then you swipe right to go all in, swipe left to fold, while a live commentator is basically talking to you at the same time that you're playing. So you play five preliminary rounds, get a limited amount of folds, you get three folds only. And if you make it to one of the top five chip stacks, you move to the final table. And that host who's talking generically to everybody about that same flop turn and river is now turns into a commentator where he's like, okay, we got Dan from San Francisco in C1. We got Matt in C2 from Vancouver. And he really comments down right down to a winner, which is uh, a super cool experience in about 12 to 15 minutes the games normally take. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know I've obviously I've played, been part of the beta games and had some fun trying it out. And it's a lot of fun. Full disclosure to the audience, I've invested in Matt's operation and really excited to see it build into something really cool because uh, it is a lot of fun. So you've got some pretty big names that uh, are on board. Yeah, thanks to you as well, too. You were the initial original person, even though I'd played poker a lot, I'd never actually officially met Phil Helmuth. And Dan, with through your your network and you know in the Bay Area, you introduced me to Phil, and, and uh, who's been a great contact for us. He is an investor. Antonio Spandiari is an investor the senior VP of product at Reddit, the co-founders of Paradise Poker, they're investors as well too. And then Snap Inc., the parent company of Snapchat is also an investor as well too. So that's been a really cool experience having them. Yeah, you guys got picked for this Snapchat accelerator program, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. So back in 2019, hundreds of companies applied. We were one of 10 companies that they chose to be part of their accelerator program. For those of you that don't know what accelerator is, it's basically they'll, they oftentimes they invest in your company, which they did. So Snapchat invested in, in cash live, which is amazing. Then they basically bring you in and, and they mentor you for, uh, a several month period for us, it was a fourteen week process. Some of the luminary dinners that we had, like for those of you that like uh, podcasts, you know, Gary V came in and, and sat down with us. The co-founder of Twitch, who's been instrumental for us building what we built, a lot of influence from Twitch. The founder of ESPN, actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and so many members of the Snapchat leadership team, whether it's marketing or or product or the lenses, just all these different things, came in and sat down with us, and then finally. We got to sit down close to the end of the program with Evan Spiegel and just sit and who's the co-founder of Snapchat, where he just basically sat across the table and talked to us about Cash Live and, and what we were building, like for half an hour and end up getting to see him several times since. And just as such a dream scenario for me as, as someone that's, that's a founder, but not coming from a tech background to really be just engulfed in technology with one of the most innovative technology companies out there with Snapchat and Snap Inc. And yeah, that was last summer and, and still... a. Uh, a memory that I'll always kind of bring with me. So, yeah. Yeah, that is awesome. So cool to hear. And it's going to launch later on this year? Exactly. Right? Yeah. With poker first, and then what's the vision for the future? So our vision is, is to basically launch with poker. You'll have one game per day of poker, then multiple games per day of poker. Then we'll look to do a similar version, a live stream, 12 to 15 minute game show on your phone where it's blackjack, it's roulette, it's backrat, it's team patty, it's even rock, paper, scissors venturing out of the, the casino games. But yeah, we basically look to be almost like the game show network for your mobile device. We look to, down the road, pretty much replace scratch and win tickets, where people play this engaging, very high luck involved, but feeling like you can influence your way of, of, of winning the game. Something that's fast, it's fun, that's on your mobile device. It basically being the TV channel for your phone where you can play game shows and not just watch them. Yeah. Wow. That sounds awesome. And it's just a great diversion for somebody when they need a 15-minute break in the middle of their day, right? It's not like getting sucked in for five hours to something that they're doing. And uh, you know, if the game only airs once a day or a couple times a day, it just turns into this cool, fun diversion for people, uh, a nice break from the pressures of uh, daily life. <laughs> and one thing I'll say is a lot of people, you say, they'll, they'll talk about poker and they'll be like, ah, oh, you know... I play poker more often, but I just don't have the patience for it. We are catering to them. We're saying, look, if this isn't something you got to sit down for hours and hours upon end. It's literally all in a fold. Those are the decisions. It's quick. It's done in 15 minutes. It is creating that little diversion like you're talking about. Yeah. And in my case, and most of the beta games I've played, it's done in a lot shorter than 15 minutes because I usually bust in like the first or second hand. It seems like I have no luck so far on Cash Live, but I'm due. I'm you're due. due. At four so beta game so that uh, I can win one of these suckers. There's $3 million worth of equity that's being built up over the games you're playing here, Dan. So <laughs> That's right. And if there's other people in the Cutco community that want to support what you're doing, what are some ways they could, uh, they could jump in? Love it. So the first way you can help us is by joining our beta games. We'd love to have you jump in, give us your feedback. We're doing them running about two to three times per week right now, which is awesome. Like Dan also mentioned, you know, the second way is is he's an investor along with Snap Inc., Phil Helmuth, Antonio, and several actually other Cutco alum, which is pretty cool as well, too. So if you'd like to join the journey as an investor, definitely reach out to me as well, too. And then when we go live, tell your friends and 
jump on and play as well too. So that's what we'd love for you to join us and share your feedback, jump on play. And yeah, feel free for any of the above, reach out to me either on LinkedIn, I'm a Matt Jarvis there, or uh, reach out direct. My, my email is matt at cash.live. So yeah, I would love to connect. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Matt, what fires you up most when you look into the future? Yeah. So one is similar to what you said, Dan, is like, I love creating that little window of excitement and fun and competition and diversion. People have very busy lives these days and just allowing them to have that quick experience where they kind of get to escape from it. And our live host really kind of connects with our players. So, so that's one of the really cool things. It's, it, what we built has never been done before in social casino. So I'm really excited about that. Also, we're making some like really strong connections right now with both casino, social casino, gaming companies. And I think they're really going to help us propel Cash Live and the vision I've always had for it into the future. So I think that's pretty exciting. And I think just waking up every day and feeling like I'm excited about what I'm doing is something that I'm really, really uh, happy about as well, too. I know, you know, we all spend so much time at our, our jobs and just feeling like you're able to get up each morning and be excited about what you're doing thinking about it a little bit, going to bed a little bit in the morning when you wake up feels awesome as well too. So yeah, I'm just happy I found that. And so I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Awesome. And how about personally? Personally? So this past weekend, we found out we're having a baby girl. So uh, I'm about to be a, a hashtag girl dad twice over. So uh, <laughs> pretty excited about that. I love being a girl. I'm, uh, you know, my little Mila right now and another one on the way later this year. Uh, December 29th is her due date. So exactly three years later than Mila's due date. So it's going to be either 2021 or 2020. We don't know. But when I look back at my life so far to date and, and another pivotal moment is coming up right now, there's been five pivotal moments that I remember in my life and that have really kind of led me to where I am today. And I think the first is just the day I was born, being born into an uh, amazing and loving family. So I think that's the first one. The second one is actually is Cutco. Cutco really did play this huge role in like building my confidence. We talked about some of the other things, but just really allowing me to deal with rejection, allowing me to get out of my shell a little bit, which was great as well too. It also led me to poker, which is number three. Finding poker was this amazing thing for me and, and it wouldn't have happened if I wasn't got invited to that game after a sales meeting in a Cutco office. So, so that was really cool. The fourth was meeting my wife, Juliana. Again, that happened through poker, which happened through Cutco. So it's a lot of this is being connected back to Cutco, but she's now my wife. And, and that's been instrumental and such a, an amazing positive add to my, my whole life. And, and lastly was my daughter being born in early 2018. That really kind of gave me the kick in the butt to say, look, from now on, I got to be, I'd done a few other things in the past. I'd done owning trailer parks. I'd done this shack shine business. And I just I wasn't as passionate about what I was doing and I wanted that to change. And I wanted that to change for myself and I want to change that for my daughter. And when I say to my daughter, look, I want you to just do what you're passionate about. And my daughter being born early 2018 pushed me to found Cash Live. And that was the, the fifth and final pivotal moment in my life. And I'm excited for number six coming up when my second daughter's born. Yeah. And the launching of the company as well. Like lots of great things on the horizon for you, Matt. It's been fun following the journey. Again, back when you made that final table, I don't even know who first said it, but somebody started saying, hey, this guy, you know, he sold Cutco <laughs> and uh, the Cutco world was kind of buzzing about that at that time. And, and then, of course, I remember meeting you uh, not too long after that and then following your journey up until now and being a small part of the ride here as a, as a teammate uh, with Cash Live has, uh, has, has been cool and really looking forward to seeing where the journey leads you, Matt, both personally and professionally. 
And uh, this has been a lot of fun today. And uh, I'm sure people got a lot out of our conversation, have enjoyed it. So thanks a lot for being part of the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate it as well, too. All the best. All right. Matt Jarvis. Hope you had a lot of fun with that episode. A little different than most. Hope the poker conversation was at least interesting to many of you that uh, perhaps aren't as passionate about that game as Matt and I both are. But uh, I really love when you think about what he experienced with poker, the competitive aspect, the battle of wits that he described, the challenge that comes as a part of that. That's a huge factor for why the game is uh, you know, so powerful for a lot of people and so important to a lot of people. The networking and the people that you get to meet Certainly, uh, poker brought me and Matt together. We met because of it. And I've had a chance to meet some other really incredible people through my experiences at the tables. And, you know, I've really made that something I've tried to be deliberate about during my time playing. And then the emotional mastery that is required to put yourself in any situation where you're forcing yourself to deal with ups and downs. I think that those things, the challenge and competition, the people and the networking, the emotional mastery element, those things relate directly to selling Cutco as well. And they relate to the entrepreneurial journey that many of you listeners will take as well at some point. And those things help bring the best out of individuals. And that self-improvement, that personal development that happens, that growth that happens carries over to a lot more than just one area of your life. I also like that Matt got into Cash Live because he really wanted to be pursuing something that he could be excited about, that he could be passionate about. He found that crossroads of something he's good at and something that he's excited about that he loves. And that can add in a value that you can get paid for it. When you find that intersection in your life, it can be a powerful thing for anyone. And we hope that a lot of you find that intersection here at Cutco, if you're here already. Again, you can connect with Matt, matt at cash.live. We'd love to have you be a part of the beta games that happen and give feedback on the user experience. Matt invited you to connect with him on LinkedIn. While you're at it, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to be connected to any of you who are part of this community as well. And that's one of the best ways that you can do that. Thanks everyone for being a part of the podcast today. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 